pastor, First Baptist Tulsa downtown, has been our leadoff hitter for our January Bible study, and always excited for him to be here. We always have a great group. I know when we meet in the worship center, we have a little bit more space, but I just love being in the chapel. I know Darren does too, so I'm so thankful that we get to be back here in this space together. And we served together at First Baptist for eight years, and those years that I had at FBC were very wonderful years in my life. My family's uh, time there was very special to us. Uh, the people at FBC are very special to us, and Darren was a great friend, great pastor, and uh, a lot of fun to serve with. And so with all the years that he's been here, or we've done events together, we've shared lots of stories about each other, and I always have to be careful, because if I go too far, you know, he gets the microphone next. Uh, so I was trying to think if there's there's any really good story that we've never shared with you, and I don't think you know this one. So uh, every every few months, Darren takes a personal retreat to the monastery, Clear Creek Monastery over uh, near Holbert and Tahlequah. And he usually goes for some personal time there, but, but when we were serving on the leadership team together, once a year we would all take a retreat and we'd go hang out with the monks, so to speak. So we would go and, and witness them doing their chants and, and their prayer time, and then we would eat meals with them. And so Darren was far more experienced than the rest of us at knowing the, the nonverbal cues of what you're supposed to do at a meal where nobody's talking and you're being served and there's an order. And so, so it's one of those that you definitely just watch what others are doing and try to follow their lead. But it's helpful to have, have Darren teach you in advance. And so he promised us he would never set us up to fail. And he didn't. He gave us good advice. And so we would enjoy those meals together. And then instead of staying in the dormitory where the monks stay, we would stay in this little cabin on the property that was all to ourselves, and, and we wanted to be able to talk. So that's why we stayed in the cabin. And uh, it was, would usually be cold, and we'd have a fire going, and we'd stay up late telling stories and just have a blast together. So one of those nights where we, Darren and I and some others were staying in that cabin, we, we kept hearing a critter coming in. We knew there was something coming into the kitchen, raccoon, something was coming in at night. And every time we would try to run in there and, and scope it out, we could never figure out what it, was. We, what it was. We could never see it. And so uh, in the middle of the night, I'd had a plan. This was like probably two or three in the morning. Darren and I were sleeping in the living room together on separate couches. And I said, uh, I, in my mind, I said, if I hear any rustling, I've, I've timed it out. I'm going to very quietly take my blanket off, my cover off, and I'm going to bound into that kitchen with my flashlight and at least get my eyes on whatever this creature is. So sure enough, about two or three in the morning, I hear the rustling. I lightly take my cover off. I roll off the couch and boom, 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 three steps. I was in the kitchen and I had my light out and I still never saw it, never figured out what the creature was. But I'm in there with my light on and I hear Darren's voice behind me. Did you see it? And I turn around, and Darren is behind me, ready to take on this creature with a 9-volt battery in his hand. Maybe you'll be able to explain what your plan was to shock him with the unattached 9-volt battery. I, I, or maybe, you know, you have a good arm, you were going to throw it at him. And Either way, I turn around, and, and to see my, my pastor having my back, with a nine volt battery against some some creature. So anyway, that was a, a fun, good memory. And uh, you remember that one, I'm sure. Okay, good, good. All right. So anyway, lots of better stuff is about to come your way. Would you welcome Darren Stu as he comes to share?
share tonight. So uh, also, when we'd go to the monastery and we'd share those meals, uh, quiet, hi Glenn, quiet is observed around those meals and you have to be very careful what you do and not to say anything. And so uh, on this particular retreat was Bobby Hart, our operations man, who uh, has recently left to go to the foundation, and Jerry Jacobs. Anybody here know Jerry? Yeah. Okay. So we were on this retreat together. We're eating dinner one night, and we had a plate of cheese. They have some wonderful Gouda cheese that they, they make out at this monastery. And so Jerry was cutting a piece of cheese while Bobby was holding the plate. But unbeknownst to Jerry, he wasn't cutting into the cheese. He was cutting into Bobby's thumb. And so Bobby's doing that you know you can't you can't yell at the monastery they kind of frown on that so uh don't trust jerry next time you see him all right so uh it is good to be here there's a wonderful connection between first baptist tulsa and uh, south tulsa baptist church not only our church being a part of planning this church 40 plus years ago in fact i think this church is the same age as your pastor how about that and the, uh, the long history that Eric and I have together serving on staff and, and now being um, pastors in the same area is a privilege. And there's another connection of our church. Um, many of you know the name, in fact, all of you know the name, Karen Pirtle, Karen and Chris. And for years and years, Jack Pirtle served at one of our doors as a greeter. And he passed away last week. We'll have his memorial service on Tuesday. And the last phone call he made before he really started to slip, he was calling one of the other ushers to make sure his door was going to be covered on Sunday morning. So today I walk in, and of course Jack is not there for the first Sunday in however many decades, and somebody had put a picture of Jack Pirtle there by the door. So may all of us be the kind of person that literally served the Lord up to our very last breath, and that's exactly what Jack did. Uh, and who he is. So uh, the monastery, uh, the monks at Clear Creek Monastery and at Benedictine monasteries all over the world, they will pray through the Psalms or the Psalter, the 150 Psalms, one time every week. They pray these day and night over and over again to help them learn how to pray. And we're going we're gonna to talk around a lot of stuff tonight. We're going to talk about how to pray and, and how not to pray, and we'll talk about the Psalms a bit. But I want to start by having a little bit of fun with this, because we all know how songs can stick in our memory, and we also know how songs can trigger certain memories in our life. Can you all hear me okay with this? I'll make sure that you're able to hear good. All right, wonderful. So I want you to think of a song, and when you think of this song, when you hear it again on the radio or on Spotify or wherever you listen to songs, when you hear this song, it triggers a memory and it takes you back to the good old days. Maybe it takes you back to your teenage years. Let me give an example. Every time I hear Eddie Money come on the radio, the song Take Me Home Tonight, okay? He had a little co-singer in that, Ronnie Spector. Those of you of an older generation, you'll know Ronnie Spector. So he sang that song. That song came out in 1986. First time I jumped in my car as a 16-year-old kid, able to drive on my own for the first time. I turned on the car, turned on the radio, that song was on. I had to drive down to the gas station to get gas. The first time I'd ever gotten gas by myself, and this will make sense if you're older. Instead of putting unleaded gas in my car, I put regular into my car. I thought I just trashed my car. It turned out to be just fine. 
It takes a lot to kill a 1976 Pontiac Ventura, by the way. <laughs> but every time I hear that song, I go back to being 16 years old, and I go back to those memories of nostalgia in those good old days. So I'd like to hear from you for just a minute. What's a song when you hear it, okay? You turn on the radio, you hear the song, you are instantly transported back. I'll call it the golden hour, that you go back to this golden hour. Let's have somebody from the 50s. I'm looking around this room. So in the 1850s, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 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 Kind of walk out here a little bit. So somebody, you have a song from the 50s? Yesterday was Elvis's birthday. Okay, so is there a particular? Keep going. We're still listening. <laughs> so, so when you hear Blue Christmas, that takes you back. How old were you when you heard that song for the first time? 14 years. You go back to being 14 years old. That, that song triggers that memory. Okay, so that's the 50s. Somebody give me a song from the 60s. If you were a child of the 60s, and, and you had a particular song. What's your golden hour song? Have you forgotten the 60s? <laughs> yeah. Like, everybody who grew up in the 60s has forgotten that entire decade. I don't want to know what y'all are doing. Yes, ma'am, what, what's... The Wedding Bell Blues. Who sang that? Okay. So, so who's the artist? I've never heard this song before. Okay. <laughs> the, okay. The, the, who's that? Fifth Dimension. Okay. The Wedding Bells Blues. <laughs> Y'all happily married, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> there you go. So now from the 1970s, does somebody have a song from the 70s that... that What's that? Oh. Did he say the carpenters? I kind of just threw up in my mouth just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. That, that's, your, that's your generation. You got it. It's that smooth sound of the carpenters, right? You know, if, they were, if she was still alive, they'd be making a ton of money today. You know that, don't you? So. All right, so we have the carpenters. You raise your hand, too. What? Chicago, there you go. Some classic rock and roll. Excellent. Yeah. You're waving like this. What's your song? Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm so, what I'm really proud of is nobody played the Jesus card that, you know, wherever he leads, I'll go is the song. Yeah, whatever. The Carpenters is even better than that. So, yeah. So we have these songs, right, that trigger our memories. Okay, we have these songs that take us back, that transport us back in time. Now, think about this. The ancient Jews lived in a time before recorded music. So anytime there would be a song, it would be a song that you would hear live. It would be songs that you would hear being sung around you by your family and in the synagogue. And most of those songs that you would have heard were here in the Psalms. The Psalms were, were literally the soundtrack, if I may use that cliche, kind of the soundtrack of people's lives for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as they were sung, as they were repeated, they were refined, and they were thought through, and they were prayed through. And just think about how many times the Psalms show up 
throughout the scripture, and particularly in the, in the ministry of Jesus. So Jonah, when he's in the belly of the fish, what does he do? He sings some of the greatest hits from the book of Psalms. In fact, you can trace every one of those lines in Jonah 2 back to the Psalms. Jesus, on the night that he was teaching his disciples, he said, I'm the, the good shepherd. He's reflecting there on Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In fact, Jesus died with the words of the Psalter on his lips, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what we have here in the middle of our Bible is, in fact, a wonderful tool on how to pray. And if you ever come to that place in your life where you go, I just don't know what to pray for, you know, in this particular time, in this particular situation, I'm kind of dry, go to the Psalms, because there's ample opportunity to learn how to pray. And I like what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, when we pray the Word of God, we pray the will of God. So what a powerful tool that we have here. Um, so we want to dive in tonight, and I want to just dive into Psalm 1 and 2. Let, let me also give one, one additional thought as I look at the Psalms as a whole that I think are, is helpful. Many times the Psalms teach us to pray, but could it be, and I'm not asking you to agree or disagree with this, I'm just asking you to think about it. Could sometimes the Psalms also teach us how not to pray? Because there's a certain set of Psalms and, and theological circles, we call them the imprecatory psalms, that these are psalms in which somebody breathes a curse on somebody else. And you get to those parts of the psalms, and you start to pray those, and you go, I don't know if I should be praying this. But if hatred is prayed, it's a whole lot better to pray through your hatred than just to suppress it. And then after a while, once you realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't be saying these things, maybe hatred loses its grip on us. So the Psalms can teach us in some ways how to pray, and sometimes after we pray out loud, we go, I think I can do better than that. So in some ways, the Psalms teach us how not to pray. But we're going to start tonight with Psalm 1 and 2, because Psalm 1 and 2 really are the two Psalms that introduce the entire Psalter, and you'll notice this, that neither one of Psalm 1 and 2 are themselves prayers. Okay. The other 148 are, but these first two are not specifically prayers. It doesn't really address God. Now, these psalms can be prayed, and in fact, what I'm going to do is we're going to go through Psalm 1 briefly. We're going to reflect on a few words, and I'll say, okay, now here's a great way to pray this psalm. Do the same thing with Psalm 2, but they are not addressed directly to God. Okay, So, uh, shall we dive in? Psalm chapter 1. And I'm uh, going out of the Christian standard, uh, excuse me, the, uh, uh, the CSB, um, and your translation may be a little different, and, and if so, uh, we'll just be a word or two off, okay? So Psalm chapter 1, just look at it as a whole for just a minute, six verses, rather short, but it is packed and it is compact. How happy. Some of your translations may say contented. Some of your translations may say satisfied. Some of your translations may say blessed. Now, I want you to hold that for just a second. In fact, the best translation is this, that you ever had that feeling after you eat a good meal and you push back from the table and you go, oh, that's, that, that's that word. That's what that means. How, how contented, how blessed. If you'll notice that very first word, Psalm 1, verse 1. Now go to Psalm 2, verse 12. The very last word of Psalm 2.12 in the Hebrew and in most English translations is the word happy or the word content. So that word creates a bookend around these two psalms 
that start out as a two-part introduction to the Psalter. So how happy, how blessed, how content is the one? This is a psalm about what it means to be an individual who is moving against the course of the rest of culture, because you'll notice as we go forward in this psalm, especially the next two or three lines, it talks about the wicked, it talks about the evil, it talks about those who aren't doing good things, and it talks about them in the plural. So every one of those words are plural. This is singular. So this is kind of a you-against-the-world type psalm, and who hasn't felt that at some point, right? So how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, that wicked is plural, or stand in the pathway of sinners, again, plural, or sit in the company of mockers, again, plural, but his delight is in the Lord's instruction. So, there's two things I want you to notice here. I want you to notice the degradation that happens, the slowing down that happens, because the first line, when it talks about the wicked, it said, does not walk in the way of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. There's this sense of slowing down, of degrading, of getting caught up, of going like this in life. Blessed are those who don't compromise and slack off. And instead of going down, uh, up to the right, they go down, you know. There's also a sense in which these words teach us about every aspect of who we are. Look back on them again. They do not walk in the advice of the wicked. This has to do with what we believe or stand in the pathway of sinners. This has to do with how we behave or sit in the company of mockers. This has to do with who we belong to. And so these words cover every aspect of life, what we believe, how we behave, and who we belong to. Blessed is the one who doesn't do that, but instead... His delight is in the Lord's instruction. And that word instruction there is literally the Hebrew word Torah, which we associate with law. But the word Torah itself goes back to an older word that means to throw something like a javelin, and you're trying to hit a target. Um, my middle son has just had some health problems, and he's having to take some injections now, and, and pretty soon he's getting married. And so because he's getting married... I said, well, it'd be a good idea if, if his fiance would learn how to give these injections as well. And so we're in our house one afternoon, and we're about to go out to eat, and so he needs, needs to take this injection. And here's Zoe, why don't you do it? And so she takes the needle, and she comes at him like this. <laughs> and, and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, do it, do it, just stab him, you know. He said, let me guide your hand, right? So the idea of the Torah is something that God wants to inject into the deepest part of who we are. Okay, God's, God's law penetrating all the way through. And he meditates on it day and night. I want you to pay attention to that word meditate because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. It's the Hebrew word hagad. And it's a word that means to mumble. Very serious question. How many of you talk to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> How many of you talk to yourself out loud when no one else is around? Okay. Now, if you think you're crazy, it's probably because you are. No, you're not. We're all always talking to ourselves, aren't we? We all have this internal monologue going on all the time. Some of us just feel more comfortable 
you know, saying that out loud. And I find as I get older, I am talking to myself out loud, and I don't care. I gave up cool a long time ago, okay? <laughs> the idea of when you mumble, you're meditating, you're ruminating on something. Blessed is one who, who lets their, their beliefs and their behaviors and who they belong to, they don't let other people dictate that. They meditate, they mumble, they're always thinking about, they're ruminating, they're processing God's instruction. They are letting it get down to the deepest part of who they are. Now look at this picture. He's like a tree planted. Actually, literally, that's transplanted. We make a decision about the nourishment of our life. Planted beside streams of, of flowing water that bears fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Notice this picture, and I think this is a wonderful picture of a tree not being subject to drought because it is planted by a stream, whether rain or shine, whether abundant water or not, it's by this stream, and it will always have a source to see it through dry. It's not afraid of drought, but I want you to notice this. The tree, while it is impervious to drought, is not exempt from the seasons of life. As followers of Jesus, we are to be that tree planted by streams of living water. Jesus himself is our living water. In a way, we are protected against those seasons of drought. There never needs to be a time in our life that we are without God. However, just because we are protected from life without God, from ultimate drought, we have to go through those seasons too, don't we? We're not, we're not exempted from those. There's a springtime of life, there's a summer, there's a fall, and there's a winter. Okay. Now, notice the first part of the psalm. It's all about the righteous. It's all about here's what it is to be a tree planted by springs of water. Here's fruit and leaf and all of this. It's a beautiful picture. Now the psalmist turns his attention to the wicked, and what I want you to notice is he doesn't spend a lot of time on them. In fact, he uses basically two lines to talk about them. And it's a way of saying they just don't matter in the grand scheme of things. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. In verse 5 and 6, where it shows the word righteous there two times in a row, in fact, that's a good, good key of always interpreting scriptures. Look for those repetitions. The word for righteous there is plural. You thought you were alone. You thought you were the only one living this way, and everyone else seemed to be going in the opposite direction, but you turn out you're not alone after all. This is a great plug for why we do what we do as followers of Jesus, and we get together every week and we worship. Because we need to remember who God is, we need to remember who we are, and we need to remember in this community that we are not alone after all. This is a rich psalm. And if there's a way I could encourage you to pray this this week, start every morning with this psalm. And probably after one week, you'll pretty much have it memorized. And you could just pray through this and, and say, God, you promised that, uh, that I'll be happy if I, today, if I do not walk in the advice of wicked or stand in the way 
of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Today I want to delight in your law. I want to meditate on your law day and night. I want to be like that tree planted by streams of water. You can just make this personal. This is a way for us to pray over our own lives every single day. This also gives us pause, and I, I, I want to reflect on this for just a moment. Um, going back, sounds like somebody has Psalm 1 on play right now on their iPhone. <laughs> you know what the great thing about that is you can hit play, and it'll start playing so easy, but when you try to get it to stop, it never will. Okay. Why do iPhones work that way? Yeah, it's all good. So think about this for just a moment. And go back and reflect on the words that talk about walking the advice of the wicked or standing in the pathway of sinners or sitting in the company of mockers. I want you to think about this statement for just a minute. We live in a world of information. In fact, I would say we live in the over-information age. I would say we even live in the misinformation age. We all have, a, we all have an information source. Now think about this. What we choose to inform us will either transform us to make us more like Jesus, or it will deform us to make us less like Jesus. There's a call here in Psalm chapter 1 to be very intent and very intentional about what we let inside of our hearts and minds. And I'm not going to pick on media or any media source because you, you know, with all the talk about what Facebook and Instagram does to the next generation, the one thing that we're not talking about is personal responsibility. You know what? You don't have to have certain things on, on your phone if you don't want them, okay? So we choose to allow ourselves to be influenced and just do the math on this. And I'm just going to use this just as an example. If you spend two hours a day watching CNN or Fox News and you spend two minutes reading the Scripture, what's going to form you more on that given day? Now, I'm not criticizing any news source, but I am saying that oftentimes we let ourselves be informed, over-informed, and we become deformed, whereas we are called to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. Let's be very careful what we allow to form us. One of my favorite metaphors these days of the human heart, I don't know if I've used this here before. If I have, it's been over a year. You've forgotten it anyway, okay? Uh, I'm a runner. And so I generally after work, my last appointment of the day is with myself. I go to the gym, or if it's real nice outside, um, I'll go running through my neighborhood. And I have a path I run through my neighborhood. And kind of my little hobby now is I've loved to start looking in people's garages, okay, when they're open, or even when they're not open. I just let myself in and, and go to it. What's creepy about that, right? Who doesn't need a stalker, right? So, so what I'll do is as I run by people's house and their garage doors up, I consider that an invitation. They are asking me just to look in their garage, okay? I used to be real subtle about it. Now I just look and stare, okay? And what I've noticed, nine and a half times out of ten, people's garages are packed with garbage, okay? How many of you are like Jesus and you keep a clean garage? Let me see your hands. That, okay. How many of you, your garage is filled with garbage? Let me see your hand. Okay. All right, so I want you to remember this. Tonight when you pull up, because isn't it funny that we have these garages that are meant to hold our cars that we pay thousands of dollars for and insure for hundreds of dollars every year. We sit them out in the driveway, and we put last year's Christmas stuff 
into our garage, right? It's junk. For me, that is a picture of the human heart. We are meant to hold the priceless presence of God, aren't we? We are meant to have God's presence dwell here. And we just put junk in there most of the time. And I think all of us could do a better job, I know I could, of being more intense and intentional about what I allow to do in here. So uh, this is me, this doesn't have to be you, but I've decided 15 minutes of news a day is about all I can handle. And so I have an app that's a five minute news briefing. I listen to it three times a day and that's just about enough for me. Anything more begins to deform me. I don't wanna be deformed. I wanna be transformed, okay? So that's Psalm chapter one. Let me stop here for just a second. Uh, we, we've got a little bit of time. Any questions that, that are here right now or any more songs that you really wanted to mention a minute ago and I didn't let you do it. And if you say the Carpenters, we are done tonight. We're, we're out of here. Any questions about Psalm one or any time that you remember this Psalm coming to play in your life? Yes, ma'am. Was it really in the, the, the Baptist hymn books, Morning is Broken? How about that? Yeah, I remember Cat Stevens. I don't know his new name now, but he'd always, always be Cat Stevens to me. Yeah. All right. So now let's go to the second psalm. So the second psalm is a coronation song. And the origin of this is very likely that when David became king of Israel... This was sung at his coronation. Uh, for those of you who remember the inauguration of John F. Kennedy, it's one of the, the most touching moments of that inauguration. Robert Frost was invited to write and recite a poem at uh, the 1960 inauguration for John F. Kennedy. So he wrote a beautiful poem. That morning when he stood up to read the poem, the sun was reflecting in such a way on his glasses that he couldn't read the paper in front of him. And so Robert Frost, incredible poet, from memory, quotes a poem that he wrote back in 1941 called The Gift Outright. He couldn't read what was right in front of the page, so he just went from memory and recited this beautiful poem and stole the show. I mean, it was just an amazing recitation. Psalm 2 would be recited at the coronation of a king. This was the poem that would be recited. And unlike Psalm 1, that's a very simple psalm, this is very complex, okay? In fact, this psalm has four stanzas. We're gonna take one at a time. And then my promise is, after we reflect on each one of these stanzas, again, come back and to say, here's how we can pray this in our own life, okay? So if you don't mind marking in your Bible, uh, you can do this if you want to. If you've got an iPhone, uh, you can, I guess, scratch your screen. Good luck with that. <laughs> but in verses one, two, and three, that's the first Stanza, And if between verses 3 and 4, you just draw a line. And then verses 4, 5, and 6 is the second stanza. You can draw a line between verse 6 and verse 7. Now, the reason I say that these are different stanzas is because the scene changes. It's somebody different being addressed. Verses 1, 2, and 3, it's about the kings of the earth, all the rulers on the planet. This is about them. The second stanza, and we'll get to the last two here in just a minute, but 4, 5, and 6 is about the king of heaven. So you see the, the tension that's created here in this psalm. The first is about all the rulers of earth, and, and the second is about here's rule, really who is ruling in heaven. 
So look at this. Why do the nations rage? What a great question to ask. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and just steal my own thunder here. This is a way to pray after you've read the morning news. <laughs> if you ever wonder, you know, how do, how do I respond to the news of the day that's always so depressing and so disheartening? To transform your news time into a prayer time. Uh, and I'm still learning how to do this, but last night I did a, a wedding pretty late, and I was driving back to the house, and I was doing one of my five-minute intervals of news, and I heard about a terrible snowstorm that hit Pakistan, and people were going up to a rural resort, and four feet of snow dropped in about two hours, and families were stranded, and several families died on the side of the road from hypothermia. And that is just, that, I don't care who you are, that, that's terrible for that to happen to human beings. And all I could think to pray was, Lord, have mercy on families. Prayer time and news time doesn't have to be separated. We, we, can, we can use what's happening in the world but we, sometimes we look at the morning news and we go, why do the nations rage? And why do people plot in vain? Circle that word plot. Because it's that Hebrew word, Hagah. You remember it from Psalm 1? The word meditate in this context means to plot. So instead of mumbling God's word and making it a part of us, in Psalm 2, it's used as those who are grumbling against God. Do you see that we have a choice as to which one we're going to do? We can either mumble about God or grumble against Him, but you can't do both at the same time. That's why these psalms are so, so length. They use a lot of the same words, okay? So why are people mumbling in vain? The kings of the earth take their stands. The rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed. Let's tear off their chains. Let's throw their ropes off of us. Instead of seeing God's word as a javelin to pierce the heart, they see God's words as a chain, something to be broken free from. Let's get free of this. It's in our way. So that's about the kings of the earth. Second stanza is about the king of heaven. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. There's a sense in which all of the affairs of the world that so trouble us are not a big deal to God. Let me get on my soapbox for just a second. I think Christians, of all people on the planet, should be the least reactionary about the bad news of the day. Why? Because we know the one who is in ultimate control of everything. God is sovereign, and because of that, we should have a sense of peace. And I think any time that we get over-the-top involved, over-the-top worried, it shows that we really have misplaced trust in, in human leaders instead of trusting the sovereignty and the care of God. He laughs about it. It's no big deal. It's going to be okay. And even if it's not okay, it's going to be okay. So that's about the kings of the earth and about the king of heaven. Now, the third stanza starts in verse 7 and goes through the end of verse 9. So between verse 9 and 10, if you want to draw another line. Now, this is where it gets a little complicated. This is from the king to God's people. So imagine this. If this was David's coronation, this would be the part that David would speak. Okay. Now, as New Testament Christians, what we're going to say is 
This is Jesus speaking over us. And by the way, some of these words will sound very familiar here in just a minute, and it'll add weight to the idea that this is kind of what Jesus is saying. I will declare the Lord's decree. He has said to me, and so this is now the king quoting God, you are my son. Where does that come from? Jesus' baptism. The coronation of the king. Okay. You are my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter and you will shatter them like pottery. Verse 9 is a not well-known quotation from the New Testament, but three times it's used in the book of Revelation to talk about Jesus resolving history in a way that is victorious for God and puts all things well. What Teresa of Avila said, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Jesus has it in, in, his, in his control. Then the last stanza is spoken to the kings of the earth. Okay, this, this started about the kings of the earth. Now God or God's people or God's king is speaking to these other kings. So now kings be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment, but all who take refuge in him, back to the very beginning, are content, are happy. So I would recommend this psalm as a way to pray as you hear the news of the day. Okay, whether it's local news, national news, international news, just your personal life, you know, things going on within your company or in your family. So just walk back through this just briefly. Praying about the situation. Why do the kings of the earth rage? Why are we struggling with North Korea? What's going to happen in the Ukraine? What's to be made of uh, the nuclear deal with, with Iran? You know, we have all these things that are creating tension that are in the back of our minds It's just proof that Scripture is still true. The world hasn't changed any. It won't change until Jesus comes back. Why? Then, as you move on to the second, this is a reminder. We need to remind ourselves sometimes who who we belong to. God is the King of Heaven. All of these people rage. God laughs. He's got it. I can relax just a little bit. Then, We thank God, and specifically we thank Jesus for being our king. You are God's son. I trust you. And perhaps most importantly, this last movement, this is how we are to pray for our leaders. Okay, think about this. And I don't care what side of the aisle or what political philosophy you have. We pray for our leaders to be wise, to receive instruction, to serve the Lord with awe, This is how we pray for our leaders, regardless if they agree with our politics or not. This is the charge as Jesus' followers on how we do this. So I would encourage you, next time that you get overwhelmed or discouraged by the news of the day, this is a good place to go to, to find a modicum of peace and also to remember who is really in charge despite the appearances of our daily life. Okay.
That's about all I got. I got one more story for you. You want to hear a bad story about Eric? I've got a few, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, one time it actually happened to be with prayer. Um, I think I told you all this a few years ago, that we went out to, to lunch. We had a guest speaker at our church, and so I thought Eric would enjoy going out to lunch together. So we all went out to lunch, and, and I'm praying with our guest, and as I'm praying for our meal, God, God bless this food, and thank you for Tony Campolo being here, and blah, blah, blah. And Eric's sitting right next to me, and he takes his hand, and he rubs it on my inner thigh right here. I thought that'd be funnier than what you thought it was. <laughs> he said he just put his hand on my knee, but I, he kind of went right on the inside a little bit. And I locked up in prayer. I didn't know what to pray. So I said, why do the nations rage? Why do... to the psalms. I just started stringing psalms together, right? So what the book of psalms is meant to be, it's meant to be a resource tool for us. That is, as generations use these prayers, we can too, for ourselves and over our daily lives. Um, my wife uh, is right over here, Paula. Um, by the way, we've kind of reached a, a milestone in our parenting. Our youngest son turned 20 years old last week. So we are officially out of the teenage years. I survived. <laughs> I, I survived. And I understand from this point on, kids never have any problems. It just, it all goes away and it's, is that right? Listen, just lie to me. <laughs> just, just lie to me and say it's all gonna be better from here on. But it's kind of a, a, a moment of passage. So an important song for her is the song, Hey, Hey, Paula. Uh, she grew up in a divorced home, and so every year on her birthday, September 29th, her dad would call a Dallas radio station. He would tell her to tune in at a certain time. And you remember that old 50s classic, Hey, Hey, Paula, by Ray Hildebrand. Um, so she would listen to that on the radio. Well, a few years ago, and Ray Hildebrand is the one who wrote the song. He's known as Paul, but his real name is Ray Hildebrand. So a friend of mine said, hey, I'm friends with Ray Hildebrand. He's coming to Tulsa. Do you think your wife would like to meet him because he wrote that song, Hey, Hey, Paula? And I go, absolutely. That would be tremendous. That would be fantastic. So we make arrangements on a Saturday morning to meet my friend and Ray Hildebrand at a Starbucks. It's the Starbucks at 91st and Yale here in Tulsa. And so we go in. Paula doesn't know who she's meeting. This is a complete surprise. I said, I just want to introduce you to somebody. And so Ray Hildebrand starts telling her this story. And she's just, hi, Ray. And you know, he starts telling her a story about how he wrote this song. And all of a sudden, it's starting to, to dawn on her who this is. I scored some serious points that Saturday morning. <laughs> Probably one of the best gifts that I've ever given to my wife for her to meet Ray Hildebrand. But as we're standing in line and Ray's telling the story and we're ordering our coffee, I see that he has a little guitar set up over here by the booth. And as we order our coffee, I go, no, 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 no. I don't want him to sing it here in Starbucks. That'll just be awkward. That'll be weird. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't say anything because he took out the guitar and I have pictures of him singing that song to her in Starbucks, okay? And it was really, I'm so glad I didn't stop it because it was just such a special moment. And we have that picture in my house. It kind of looks like my wife is in love with Ray Hildebrand, so I try not to look at that picture too much. The point, 
It's one thing to know the song. It's another thing to know the songwriter. It's good to know these psalms. It's so much better to know the author of these psalms, Jesus Christ, and the way that he sings them over us, and he prays these psalms through us, sometimes when we need a little help. So would you, uh, would you help me give the closing prayer tonight? Let's sing that chorus that we sang a little bit ago. His name is wonderful. You probably just know it by heart. Let, let's sing it as our closing benediction. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. He's the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages, almighty God is he.